The power of that God stands behind you when you feel weak. With that in mind, have a seat. Good morning. Hope everybody's had a great week. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Good. Glad you had a great week. Um, Noel, Noel, yeah, Noel's in the back. He's waving. Uh, he is our associational missionary for the SYBA, South Yakin Baptist Association, that we're a part of. Um, he's also uh, the person that got us connected with the church we're revitalizing. And so he does a, a lot of stuff across, I guess, three counties, really. Is that right? Three counties? And um, does a lot of mission work and stuff like that. So if you get a chance to talk to him after the service, just ask him about what he's doing. He would, he would love to talk to you. Can I have a little more light in the room? And, and so, Noel, what I would like you to do with your preacher voice, I'd like you to pray, if you don't mind, and then we'll get started with this. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, um, I have a little garden at my house. And when I say little, it's microscopic. It's, it's, a, it's a container, a wood container about this big, maybe a little bit longer than that. And it goes about this deep. And I have a couple of things, just a few things planted in it. I have two tomato plants that are cherry tomatoes, not grape tomatoes, because there's a difference between grape tomatoes and cherry tomatoes. Anyway, and I have those two. And then I have a banana pepper plant that I have. And I've gotten some banana peppers off of that. They, they taste pretty good. And some oregano, okay? And it's on my, my deck. If you, I, some of you have been to my house. Some of you haven't. But you come out of this door, and the garden's like right here, the garden, okay? The cute garden is right here, okay? So... <clears throat> It's, it's September, and uh, I water that particular area every night. And last week, I have a friend that's moved in. It's a spider. And I'm not really keen on spiders, but he's up high, and so I just let him be there. And he actually attaches his, we his webbing to my planter, is, is what, he, what he does. And so I water my plants and stuff like that. Now, it's an October spider, now, I know that you probably don't even know what an October spider is. This is something that I've probably created and named this thing just October because I always see them around October, so I call them October spiders. They are ugly, ugly and brown, and when they're sitting there, they're just, they're just ugly. They're just absolutely ugly. Now, before you give me a hard time about naming something like when it comes out, the time it, the time it comes out, I'm just going to put them ran out of names. He started with like hippopotamus. Elephant, right? And you're like, yeah, that's, aw that's awesome. And then as he got to the end of the list of the animals that were flying around, he went fly, because that's what it was doing. Grasshopper. You see what I mean? So before you give me a hard time, Adam, Adam had to say probably ran out of creativity. But nonetheless, there he is. And so um, this week, this past week, I went out to do my normal watering 
of my plants. And so I always start with the banana pepper and move, move over this way. It's just the way I do it. So when I went to do the banana pepper, um, my, my friend Spider had moved his web and it hit my arm. And I don't like spiders at all. And so I went, and at that point, it wrapped the web around this arm. And I looked up, and the spider was gone. I screamed like a little girl. Ah! And when I saw the spider was gone, I went, ah! And I went inside the house. And when you go inside my house, there's a half bath right here. And I went into that half bath and just started half bath and started ripping off clothing just to see if that spider, have you ever done that before? Like you're just wondering and you can feel it all over your body, right? And so Nicole's downstairs and she said, Philip, is there anything wrong? And I said, no, everything's fine. <laughs> and, and went back to the EBGBs, you know, because I just, oh, there's so much spiders. I got to where I can, I can leave them where they are, but man, it just kind of just freaked me out a little bit. Well, back up two weeks ago, or, or it could have been a month ago, I put an air conditioner in my wife's van that she uses for dog grooming. Not a engine thing, but like an air conditioner like you would have in a camper, okay? I, I Philip Brand, put that in. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I took the old one out, put the new one in. I had Quinn come out. He held it for me so I could get it in. And then Nicole, she put caulking around it because she didn't want me to caulk. But nonetheless, I put it in. So while I was cleaning up my tools, because there was, you know, there's tools. I do have tools. It's a small little tool chest, but I do have tools. I just put my tools back in my little, my little thing. I was walking into my garage and out of my garage, and I happened to turn around and there was a copperhead snake in my garage. And I went, well, hello there. Because they don't scare me that much, but I do respect them. Okay, I respect them. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I've got to get him out of my garage because that ain't going to work for me in here. So I got to get him out of my garage. So I talked to him as if he could hear me. They understood stuff in Genesis 3. So, so I talked to the snake and I got a shovel, a flat shovel, and I took him and just threw him out. I hit him like this and just scooted him out. And I wanted to go after him to kill him, but it was nighttime. And he did this and went into my yard. And I was like, there is no way that I'm going to go after that snake tonight. He can just go on. You know what I mean? I'm not going to look around and try to, try to fear him. So there's the spider story, little girl, and I needed to tell you the snake story to tell you that I am a man, <laughs> right? That's not just a ah, little girl, but I am a man. I, I do have courage, if you will. So with that in mind, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Now today, <clears throat> the title of the sermon is Stars Cutting Board. So this is something that I had to cut from a sermon in the past. Normally when I do this, I have like five or six different subjects that we go through and little nuggets as we go. This one is really not that way. This is actually a whole section that was cut out. And so we're, we're going to do it this morning. Um, so Matthew chapter 2. And... <clears throat> Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says this. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judea, for you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. In verse 10, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now you know from the sermon we had on this at the end of, end of July, that this star had disappeared as they approached Jerusalem. God had it just totally, he wiped it out of the sky. And then when they left, this star, this miraculous star reappeared and went north to south, which is something that no star does. It's east to west or west to east. That's how that goes. Um, I can explain the other way later, but not right now. So anyway, it, it went differently. And I think that the reason that the star disappeared when they approached Jerusalem is because they were about to talk to people who had scriptures. And those people that had the scriptures did not need a sign. They just needed the scriptures to tell them that the Messiah had been born. Is everybody tracking? I mean, you and I don't have miraculous stars in the sky to tell us what to do, right? Or guide us on our way. All we have is the scriptures. And so these scribes and these religious leaders, these scribes and Pharisees, looked at this verse of Scripture, gave the correct answer, but they did not go to see the Messiah. And the question is, why? Why would they not go to see the Messiah? And so you can come up with an array of reasons why these guys did not go see the Messiah, but I'm going to cover one of them today, just one of them. We're not going to go through all through it all of them in the next couple of weeks. It's not the point of this. It's just one. And the main reason that I think that they did not go to see the Messiah in Bethlehem, someone they had studied about, someone they said they were looking for, the reason that they did not go see him was because of fear. They were afraid. They were totally afraid. They knew what the scripture said, they knew that these wise men had come and were asking about it, said that there was a miraculous star. They knew something had occurred and they knew that probably the Messiah was there and Herod took it seriously, by the way. And so they knew that, but instead of going to see the person that they had waited their entire life to see, they decided to stay put. And I think the main reason they decided to stay put was fear. So you look at this text, it says in verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. He was upset about it 
And Jerusalem was troubled because that king was upset. You see, Herod wasn't a nice guy. He just wasn't a nice guy. He had killed people. He made sure that uh, there wasn't successors to his throne. He had done a lot of stuff to protect his kingdom in that particular time. And it was, it was horrible stuff that he would do to people. He would kill them, take their lives, throw them in prison, torture them, do all kinds of stuff. And so these scribes and Pharisees are looking at this text and they're looking at Herod and he's upset that there's a king that's born in Bethlehem. And they're like, guys, I don't think we should go because if we go, he'll probably kill us. So they were absolutely scared of what Herod might do to them. And they had fear. They had fear. And rightly so. Right? There's some concern when a government person like that gets kind of upset and they get angry and they've been known to do acts of violence in the past and the acts of violence actually occur and you're sitting here with the scripture and the Messiah is in Bethlehem and whereas the Magi have the courage to go, you've got to come back home after you go see that king. And what's going to happen to your family? Are they going to be killed? Or what's going to happen? And so here's this group of people that say that they believed and they just didn't go. Here's the first point. You and I can be scared out of our faith. Right? We can be scared out of our faith. These people were scared out of their faith. No matter what level of faith that they had, they were scared to go see the Messiah. And they were scared out of the faith that they should have had in him. Could the Messiah and God have protected them? Absolutely. Was it a moment that was like no other moment that had ever occurred in the history of the world, absolutely. Why wouldn't you go? You've preached this, you've taught this, you've told people to look for the Messiah, and here he is. Don't you want to at least check it out to see if it's true? Right? And they were scared, and they were scared, don't miss this, and I'm not saying anything political, but they, they were scared of what the government might do to them if they went, come on. They were scared of what the government might do to them if they went. And ladies and gentlemen, the moment that you are more scared of the government than you are of your God, you have changed what you worship. You have changed what you follow. And I'm not talking about rebellion. I'm not talking about anything like that. But what I am saying is, Oh my goodness, if the scripture says the Messiah is here, I'm going. I'm going to go see this. I'm going to go check this out. And I will figure out a way to get there. I will figure out a way to get there. That is what our attitude should be. They believed in their fear more than they did the scriptures. They believed in their fear more than they did the scriptures. How many times have we leaned into our fear more than we actually believed what the scriptures would say? 
Yeah. It's something to think about, isn't it? Back in um, 2020, and this wasn't popular. I, I know it wasn't popular because I got instant messages on Facebook about it. Sometimes comments about it. God has appointed you a time to be born and he's appointed you a time to die and you will not miss either one of those dates. You just won't. Is there some wisdom that you have to have while you're living in a moment like that? Absolutely. Do you, do you go out and you're stupid? No, you don't go out and you're stupid, but we need to understand that there's a point, time to be born and a time to die and God has both of those ready to go and you're not gonna miss it. Raise your hand if you missed your conception. Okay. Raise your hand if you missed your birth. Yeah. Nobody. You're not going to miss your death. It's the same thing. And in a time of crisis where you're wondering what in the world is going on in the world, and it seems like maybe your health will be on the line, maybe death will be on the line, that is the moment that you claim scripture and say, hey, if I'm supposed to die tomorrow, I'm supposed to die tomorrow, but if I'm supposed to be here 30 more years, I know who has my life in his hands, and I'm going to trust him. Right? Yeah. So that is what we do. They believed in their fear more than they did the scriptures. You see, it's okay to scream at a spider and move on with your life, right? It's okay to say, oh my goodness, that's happening, and move on with your life. It's a whole nother thing to see the snake and get him out of your house. And what it takes to do that is courage. It takes courage to take the scriptures and no matter what, live by them regardless. It takes courage. And humility breeds courage, and courage breeds freedom. That's what happens. Courage, courage. What you fear controls you. What you fear controls you. What you fear limits you what you fear. And the scriptures tell us what to fear. In Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And once you live your life to where you fear the Lord and therefore have his wisdom, there is nothing down here that you have to fear. Nothing at all. There's some fear that might come into your life, but that fear is going to be matched with courage to handle that particular situation. That's what's gonna happen. You see, you, or I, you and I do one or two things with fear. Either we have fear and uh, we retreat and hide and cower in fear, or we have fear and we step out in faith and have courage. And you meet that fear head on. You meet that danger head on. You have courage. And that's the only one or two ways that we, we do all that. What you fear controls you. There is not a person in this room that doesn't have insecurities. I do not have insecurities. Oh, yeah, you do. See, your textbook now 
They say the person that says they don't have insecurities actually do have insecurities, so maybe you shouldn't say that. <laughs> it says it in more than one book. You know what? Yeah, everyone in here is insecure, and the trick is to make sure that our insecurities do not cause fear to happen, but instead we are courageous with whatever insecurities that we have. That, that's what we need to do. Um, you know, you and I talk about things ending all the time, don't we? Like, let me give you an example. I don't, I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, but there's some people in this room that in November 2024, they want something to end. Right? There, there's some people in this room, right? There's some people that might not want it to end, but nonetheless, there's some, there's some change that needs to happen, and, and you, you want that to end. We wanted the pandemic to end. We wanted, we wanted this over here to end, and we're always looking for something to end. We're always looking for our bad time to end. We're always looking for the fear that we have to end. We're always looking for, for all this kind of stuff to end, and maybe God doesn't want you to figure out when it's going to end. Maybe he wants you to view things that are happening in your life as a new beginning. What? A new beginning? Yeah, a new beginning. The situations that are bad in your life right now are steps to get you closer to God, walking closer to him, and living a better life for him. Every Every bad time that you have, every circumstance that is negative is a moment where instead of letting fear rule and control you, you step out and you grab on to courageousness and you step into that moment knowing that God's gonna teach you how to walk with him better. It is something that he's put in front of you to tackle and to conquer. He wants you to be courageous. God has dreams and plans for you in this room. There isn't a person in this room that God doesn't have an amazing plan for. It is up to you to step out and achieve that plan. It's up to you to take your moment where you could cower in fear and step into it with faith and courage and meet that moment and take care of business. That is what God has empowered you to do. So to kind of continue this kind of concept, I want you to turn your Bibles to first. Uh, Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is one of the most popular Bible stories in all of Scripture. It, it has to be in the top 10. Bible stories that everybody seems to know. And this is David and Goliath. Now, if you're sitting in this room and you've never heard of David and Goliath, I'm just going to give you a small snippet of what this story is about. So, a boy named David, he's probably in his teenage years, he goes to visit his brothers. They are in the army. He's taking them cheese. I don't know what kind of cheese that was, but it must have been good enough to take to the army so army people could eat it. I don't know what they melted it on. I don't even know if they had crackers. But he took cheese to his brothers, okay? So he, he, brought, he brought this in, and when he got there, the Philistine army, which was on the other side of the mountain, came, 
was here and the Israelite army that was on this side of the mountain, from the Philistine side came this guy that was huge. He was like Hulk Hogan 10 times more, like 10 times bigger. This guy was, it's huge. So he comes down and he challenges the army of Israel. He basically says, send your best man down and I'll fight him and whoever wins will win this particular battle. Well, when that guy came down, all the people in the army ran and hid inside their tents because they were afraid. They saw this guy, they were afraid of this guy. He came down into to the valley and they ran and they hid. And so David's looking around and he's saying, well, who, why are we hiding when he's defying the armies of the living God? And so to kind of speed forward, David is the one that actually goes down into the valley with just a sling and five stones, and he kills Goliath. Because out of everybody that was in that army, David was the one that was courageous in that moment and stepped out for God, and he accomplished a great thing. So that's kind of the scope of the whole story. So that said, I want you to look at verse 24. Verse 24, chapter 17, it says this. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. So I'm going to say this three times because I'm a Baptist preacher, but it's going to be the same thing three times during this thing. And here it is. Ready? We are seldom afraid when the opposition is smaller than us. We are seldom afraid when the opposition is smaller than us. So these guys are afraid of Goliath because he's bigger than they are. And say they run and they hide. Seldom afraid. So look at verse 28. Now Eliab, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Now let me explain that. David's around, he's seen this, he's starting to talk about it. Like who, somebody should, somebody should go battle this guy. And he's talking to everybody about it. So his brother finds out. And Eliab His eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart for you have come down to see the battle. When you have decided to be courageous... There will always be someone close to you to discourage you from taking that step of faith. They will say something to you to kind of hit at that bravery that you are showing in the moment. And when that happens, we need to take a cue from David and look them square in the eye and say, no, God has called me to do this and I'm going to go do it. Do not let people around you, regardless of how close they are to you, discourage you from doing what God has called you to do. Don't let that happen, but it always happens. You, you take this step of courage, you really think, you know, I'm going for this, and they kind of come in and they nab. Basically, his brother said, you are too small for this task. Go back to your little sheepfold. You know nothing about war. Leave that to the professionals. And in David's mind, he's thinking, well, the professionals are hiding in their tents. Right? The professionals 
who should be out there fighting this guy are the ones running from this guy. So he's not going to have anything of it. So don't listen to the people that are trying to discourage you from doing what God wants you to do. Here's the next one from this story. It's found in verse 37. And David's having a meeting with the king, okay? Having a meeting with the king. The king says, you have no war experience. And and David says, I've killed lions, plural, and bears, plural. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a lion or a bear, but that's pretty impressive. There's more than one lion that he tackled, if you read through that story, and more than one bear. And in one portion of it, it says that he took a sheep out of a lion's mouth. That's a little more than a snake in a garage, right? That's just a little bit more than a snake in a garage. So we get to verse 37, and this is what he says. Verse 37. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, it takes humility to have courage. And the humility in this particular sense is this. I'm not doing this alone. I have to have God with me. And because he is with me, I will accomplish this task. David wasn't trying to make a name for himself. He was doing what God had called him to do, and he knew that God was with him while he was doing it. So humility and courageousness have to go together. They have to go together. Here's the next one. Uh, Saul has given him his armor. David's putting this armor on. In verse 39, it it says this. And David strapped his sword over his armor. Well, let's read verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of maw. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. I can't use these. And then verse 40, it says, Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch and his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistines. Ladies and and gentlemen, courage gives you freedom. Courage gives you freedom. In this particular sense, now don't lose this, the government had given David what he needed to protect him for the battle. The government had. There's nothing wrong. I think it's very nice of Saul to give him his, his armor and try to protect this kid and do everything for him to protect him. But he put on what the government told him to put on and he said, I, this isn't for me. This isn't the way I'm designed. This armor's way too big. I am going to die if I go out here with this armor on. And so he gave the armor back to the government. And he went out and in humility knew what his talents were, knew what he could do with the sling, 
got five stones and went out to battle in a way that he was comfortable, in a way that he was designed, in a way that he was talented, in the way that he knew he could battle this particular Philistine. And ladies and gentlemen, courage gives you freedom to make the right choice for yourself. Sometimes what you are offered isn't what you should take. What you should do is be who God created you to be and do it your way. Come on, church. You do it your way. And if you do that, that is a courageous step, and God uses that, and you're empowered by him. At the end of the day, I would rather have God on my side than the best armor in the world. That's what I would rather have on my side. So he goes down into the valley, okay? And uh, the Philistine comes down too. And in verse 44, this is what the Philistine said. Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So we are seldom afraid when the opposition is smaller than us. Goliath wasn't afraid of David. There is a difference between arrogance and fear. Arrogance says, I'm big enough to wipe this person out and I'm going to do it. And all the while, Goliath did not have the right view of the situation because actually humble David, who was smaller, was more powerful in that moment than he was. Isn't that something? We need to be careful with arrogance. I need to re-say that statement that I said before. Arrogance is just as bad as fear is what I meant to say. It's just as bad, just as bad as fear. And if you're going up against someone because you think you are something and you are bigger, you better watch out, especially if that person is a believer. You do not know what you're messing with. You don't know what you're messing with, okay? And so, of course, we know he went out and, and he, he killed Goliath, and, and that's, that's what it was. So here's my next point here. Being courageous isn't the absence of danger. Instead, it's how you deal with the dangerous situations. Being courageous is not the absence of danger, but it is how you deal with dangerous situations. I have a friend of mine, um, and when he was in, in school, uh, the first day of school, he was new in the school, and uh, there was a bully that sat on the front row right next to the pencil sharpener. And this bully would either allow you to sharpen his pencil, your pencil or not sharpen your pencil. Okay? So my friend is in the back of the room, and he walks down the aisle to get to the pencil sharpener and steps over the guy's legs and gets to the pencil sharpener. And when he turns around, the guy says, uh, that will be the last time that you sharpen that pencil without my permission. And so he went back to his seat. Well, later in the day, his pencil lead broke. He didn't want his pencil lead to break, but pencil leads tend to break in inappropriate times, right? 
And so he got up and he went back to the pencil sharpener. And as he was going to the pencil sharpener, the guy said, I did not give you permission to use the pencil sharpener. And so he just kind of stepped over and used the pencil sharpener anyway. And when he turned around and said, this needs to be your last time using the pencil sharpener today. And so he went back to his seat. There was some other work that had to be done and his pencil lead broke. And he prayed that that bully would have to go to the bathroom. So he waited. Well, he couldn't wait too long. And so he waited, and so he said, I'm just going to go back to the pencil sharpener. So he went back to the pencil sharpener. He stepped over the guy's legs, did his pencil, and when he turned around, the guy said, three o'clock, playground. So he went back to his seat. He said, well, I don't have to go to the playground, but if I don't go to the playground, this is not going to stop, so what am I going to do? At the end of school today, I'm going to go to the playground. And so he went to the playground, three o'clock. So the bully came, and he came with two, his two brothers who were bigger than him. And my friend, who is an idiot, said, oh, you brought back up. <laughs> so they're sitting there, and his mama pulls up in a car right over here at the playground. And she yells at it, out at him to come and get into the car. Now, what you don't know up until this point is my friend was bilingual, and he was Mexican. He was was Spanish-speaking. And so his mama is a Mexican lady. So she's yelling out from the car in Spanish to him, and they're having an interchange. And he turns back around, and these three individuals do not know Spanish. And so the bully said, "What what did she say? Oh, that's my mom, and she's here to pick me up, and she wants me to get in the car. But I told her that I had some business to take care of. <laughs> and so she yells out of the car again, and basically she's telling him to get into the car because it's time to go home. Don't, and his mother is saying, don't make me get out of this car. And he said, look, I've got to finish talking to these people before I go. You will have to drag me out of here in order for me to leave right now. And so he went back to talking to him, and he said, well, well, what did she say? She said that if y'all start a fight, she's going to take us all out. <laughs> and about that time, she opened up her door, car door and came across the playground with her flip-flop out. And he says she's speaking Spanish the entire way. So if you could just hear this, like this, and he's like, and she hits him, grabs him by the ear, and takes him to the car and puts him in the car, and they go on. My friend said he never had another, any more trouble out of that bully. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely awesome. Listen. You do not have to fight to be courageous. Sometimes you have to use wisdom, right? It's not always a fist fight. It's not always a yelling match. It's not always something like that. You can actually use your situation to get out of that. He never had another problem with that bully. Yeah. So let's go back to the Magi. The Magi have seen Jesus and they receive a vision from God not to go back to Herod, right? 
Do you remember that? And so what they did was they broke a promise that they made to Herod, and they went back a different way. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. Sometimes being courageous means you break a promise. Have you ever made promises that you shouldn't have made? In a moment of weakness, like you agreed to something that you shouldn't have agreed to, but now you realize that that particular thing is gonna be bad for you? Be courageous enough to say, hey, I made a mistake with my, my promise and I'm sorry I did that, but I cannot do what I promised you I would do. And list the reasons. Sometimes courageousness is breaking the promises that you made that you shouldn't have made to that particular individual. Sometimes that's, that's what it is. And then finally, I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And it says this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I know that you and I, and rightly so, we're talking about the power of God, being filled with the power of God, being controlled by the power of God. But what I would like to do is just take a little portion of the power of God and read this particular verse differently. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the courage of Almighty God. Be filled with the courage of Almighty God. That is part of being filled of His Spirit. Be filled with the courage of Almighty God. You see, you and I will always be insecure. We will always have times that we will feel fear in our life. And it's in that moment that we reach down inside of us and we ask God to fill us up with courage so that we can meet that moment. Lord, I don't wanna be controlled by my fear. I want to be controlled by your spirit. And I know that your spirit is a spirit of courage. It's a lot of other stuff, but it's a spirit, a spirit of courage. And I want that power. You see, you and I have the power that created the universe inside of us at our disposal. And at any moment, we can take our freedom, our, our fear, and we can ask God to give us courage, and he will, and he will give us the strength that we need to face our particular moment. That is what he does. And it's an amazing thing. You see, the other part of that book, wow, I'm really popping today. Um, <laughs> a little double meaning there. <laughs> Uh, and it says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. You see, sometimes when trouble comes in people's lives, they reach for external things to numb the pain. Sometimes people get drunk. Sometimes people take drugs. Sometimes people just, just do all this other external stuff or, or they go to the doctor and they get medicated. They get this, they get that, they get the other. They get all this stuff to numb the pain. And what God wants you to do is he wants you to cry out to him for courage and let that courage fill his heart. Now listen, I'm not a doctor, so I'm, I'm not trying to say anything like that. But, but what I am saying is if you are reaching out to externals to get the pain to go away for a little while, that pain will never leave you until you deal with the core of what brought you to that pain. And some of the stuff makes you forget and then, but once you forget it for a while, it's still there when this wears off. 
You get drunk, it's still there when this wears off. You take the drugs, it's still there when this wears off. And what God wants you to do is live a healthy, abundant life. And he wants you to get to the core of what it is that's causing all this other stuff to happen. Deal with the core of it so that you can be a whole person. And ladies and gentlemen, it takes courage to do that. It takes courage to sit down and say, this happened to me previously in my life. I'm insecure about it. It has hurt me deeply. And I need to work through this so that I quit being this way here. Is everybody with me? You deal with the core. If you never deal with the core, it will always have you in its clutches. So you deal with the core of it. So be filled with the courageousness of the Spirit of God, with the power of the Spirit of God, and don't reach for the externals to take you away for the moment. Because when you get the power of God, what you're doing is you're fixing the problem so that you can live without the problem. Right? You're fixing the problem so you can live without the problem. And so that's it. 